Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com. Christ is risen. Indeed, He is risen. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. And when I say Christ is risen today, I actually mean that for a specific part of our audience, and that is for all those Eastern Catholics and Eastern Orthodox Christians who are on the so-called Old Calendar or Julian Calendar. Finally, when I say Christ is risen, I can direct it at them. The rest of us are on the Gregorian calendar, even if you're on the Byzantine liturgical calendar, it's still within the Gregorian calendar. We have moved beyond the Christ is risen greeting, and we greet each other now with Christ is ascended. And the response is, in glory. You see, there are two different calendars, the Gregorian and the Julian calendar. And this year, the Paschal season was very much apart from each other, very spread apart. And so our Orthodox and Eastern Catholic brethren who are on the old calendar, Julian calendar, we can finally say with conviction now and with real relevancy, Christ is risen. And the rest of us, Christ is ascended. Boy, what a rich time this is in the liturgical calendar. Even if you're on the Gregorian calendar of the Byzantine liturgical calendar. We've just come out of the St. Sir Methodius feast day that was May 11th. Now on this Sunday, today, the fathers of the first ecumenical council. And we've also just come out of, or we're in the midst of actually, the feast of the ascension of our Lord, which is huge, huge feast day. We're looking forward to Pentecost Sunday, next Sunday. And before that, we have the fifth All Souls Saturday. So this could not be a more action-packed time in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. Boy, and this is not even the highest of seasons, but it's very high, especially with Pentecost coming along. So very, very rich season. And before we go any further, I do want to say hello to a few people. William, good friend William from Akron. Hopefully you're listening, William. Thank you for being a great listener here at Light of the East. And also Sonia, of course, our ever-present faithful Sonia from Orinda, California. Mr. William Radovich, longtime listener of Light of the East Radio, and also our very good friend, Father Peter Galadza of the Sheptitsi Institute, who you hear from from time to time throughout our program. We're all so happy to have his little Sheptitsi moments as part of our Light of the East. So once again, we say hello to Father Peter, who's always been so kind to us here at Light of the East, and also to me personally. Also, I'd like to acknowledge a couple other people. In this sense, though, however, in kind of a sad note, but a hopefully a hopeful and prayerful note, that is two Eastern Christian bishops who were abducted forcefully in Syria recently. They were returning from actually a charitable mission in a village in Syria. And unfortunately, they were driving in a car driven by a priest. The priest was killed by terrorists. The bishops were dragged from their car and they'd been abducted. So we remember in our prayers, the bishops and their families and their churches, 
They are from Syria, Lebanon. Their names are Johanna Ibrahim and Paul Yazigi. Johanna Ibrahim, the Syriac Orthodox Bishop and the Greek Orthodox Archbishop. Their names are Archbishop Johanna Ibrahim of the Syriac Orthodox Church and also Archbishop Paul Yazigi, Archbishop of the Greek Orthodox Church. They were as I mentioned, abducted forcefully, and we hope and pray that they are well and they'll be released soon and there'll be resolution to this. And again, as I mentioned, the sad thing is it's always sad when this happens, but especially since they're returning from a mission of mercy there. And so it's a real challenge for Eastern Christians in certain areas of the world. As I mentioned always in this program, the Eastern churches, especially the Eastern Catholic churches, are at the epicenter. So the most significant and volatile global issues of our day And here's a great example. These innocent, well-meaning, charitable archbishops from two different Orthodox churches abducted by gunpoint, their priest driver killed. So we pray for his soul, the soul of the priest. May his memory be eternal. And may our Lord God protect and save and grant long life, health, and salvation to these two archbishops. We have some good news, though, on another Eastern front in the Eastern Catholic churches in Slovakia, in fact. The Holy Father... Pope Francis appointed as auxiliary bishop of the Byzantine Eparchy of Preshov in Slovakia, the Reverend Father Milan Lak, and he's a Jesuit also, just like the Pope. He was currently vice dean of the Faculty of Theology of the University of Trnava, assigning him to the titular see of Ostracine. See, these bishops always get what they call titular seats. In other words, they're assigned by title, basically only by title, to a particular church. Every bishop has to have a church in Rome that he is technically assigned to, so it becomes his title church or titular. They call it the titular bishop. But in reality, of course, he's the bishop of a particular eparchy of where he is assigned. So our congratulations to the eparchy of Preshov, which is in Slovakia. It's one of the byzantine Ruthenian eparchies, which of course is the church that I am a part of, only here in America, the Ruthenian church in America. This is the Ruthenian church in Slovakia, in other words, our country of origin. So once again, Reverend Father Milan Lak, a Jesuit, now named Auxiliary Bishop for the Eparchy of Preshov in Slovakia. Congratulations to him, and our prayers are with him and the church in Slovakia, which is, continues to grow and be very, very vibrant. They have a couple of Jesuit bishops there now. Now we have a Jesuit pope. So Jesuit seems to be really in in the church today and the administrative ends of the church in many areas. As I mentioned, this is a very, very rich time of the year. We are in the Feast of the Ascension of our Lord, but we also have on this Sunday... The feast, the memory, the feast, or the memory, we remember, and when we say we remember in the Byzantine church especially, it means we enter into that reality as though it were timeless, as though it were happening today. In fact, it is happening today. It's not just symbolic. It has a timeless character to it. We enter into it, and how can we do that? How can we transcend time? You know, the kind of chronological time that we live in in our day-to-day existence. Well, there's one way we do that, in a very real way. And that is through the liturgy. The liturgy is timeless. Oftentimes I get a phone call. People will say, what time is your liturgy? I'd like to come and experience your liturgy. And I'll say it's at 10 o'clock at Annunciation Church in Homer Glen. And of course, the next question is, especially if they're not familiar with our liturgy, they'll say, well, how long is it? My response is, it's timeless. But that's true about both liturgies, East and West, the Roman Mass, you know, the Latin Mass, or the Byzantine liturgy, or any liturgy, any Eucharistic celebration, really is timeless in that it enters into a moment that spans all time. And so when we celebrate any kind of feast, especially like, for instance, this week of the Ascension in the Gregorian calendar, Byzantine liturgical calendar, we also celebrate today, again, the fathers of the first ecumenical council of Nicaea, which happened 325. Whenever we do this, 
It's not just a remembrance. I mean, that's good. That's part of it. It's not even just a celebration. That's good. That's part of it. But more so, it's an immersion into that moment as though it is happening now. It is timeless, and which means it's significant for us. And how do we know the significance of these special moments, these feast days? Well, let's look at, as example, the Feast of the Ascension, together with the Sunday of the Fathers of the First Nicene Council. And as always, we turn to our liturgical text in the Eastern churches. It's sort of a dogmatic hymnody. In other words, our hymns are dogmas. We sing what we believe. And for this Sunday, we say this, and this is at the evening Vesper service. The Lord has sent into heaven to send the Comforter into this world. The heavens prepared his throne and the clouds were his ladder. The angels marvel at the sight of a human being more exalted than themselves. Let me read that again. The angels marvel at the sight of a human being more exalted than themselves. Today, the Father receives again in his bosom the one who was in him from all eternity. And the Holy Spirit gives a command to all the angels, lift up your lintels, O you gates. O you nations of the earth, clap your hands, for Christ ascends to the place where he had been from all eternity. And in other areas of the liturgical worship for this Feast of the Ascension, we sing this in the Byzantine Church. Behold, mortal nature now ascends to heaven, united to God Almighty in the flesh of the Word. Truly, this is an amazing wonder. Now, one of the many things that's significant about this event of the Ascension is that as we hear in the liturgical prayers, and remember, whatever we pray is what we believe. So we're not just saying pious things because we're in church. We're pronouncing what we believe, sort of proclaiming or exclaiming it. And so what we're believing is that human nature, imagine this nature, this body that we have, you know, which gets sick, it gets injured, it ages, it gets overweight, it gets deformed in some ways, it gets hurt, it bleeds, it cuts, it hurts. That body, together with the person that's in it, is actually mounted on the throne of heaven because Christ took on this body, resurrected it, transformed it, and now is taking it to its rightful, ultimate place on the throne in heaven. Imagine that. Imagine what that can do for our perception of ourselves and one another. And there it is, expressed in the prayers, the liturgy of the church. That's what's really significant about this event. As we say in our prayers in the liturgy, the priest says, God, you left nothing undone until you brought us to heaven. In other words, he took our nature and enthroned it under every throne of heaven. Can you imagine that? Just think about that. Think about what that would do for your image of yourself as a human person and for every human person. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's Reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Truth. It's not about how you feel. And now, a Sheptitsky Institute Minute with Father Peter Galadza. In 1935, Archbishop Andrei Sheptitsky wrote the following about truth and our attitudes towards faith. He wrote, Many believing Christians are sometimes wrong 
because they think that authentic religion is more of a feeling than truth itself. Faith is an act of reason and not a blind assent to just anything whatsoever. And faith is certainly not just one's private experience. Faith compels one to believe, but it compels one because the mind itself recognizes that believing is a reasonable and necessary act and that not believing would be a sin against God and truth. To learn about degree programs in Eastern Christian Studies, visit shiptitskyinstitute.ca. That's S-H-E-P-T-Y-T-S-K-Y institute.ca. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Mysticism, it keeps men sane. So said G.K. Chesterton, the famous thinker and writer of the 20th century. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya with an Eastern Christian moment. Christian mysticism actually means that which is most real. The mystical reveals and conceals all at the same time. It is life lived in the tension of paradox. God is three distinct persons, yet one God. He is the righteous judge and the lover of mankind. We come to know God precisely by that which we do not know about him. Mysticism forms part of the particular genius of the Eastern Catholic churches. Our church art and architecture are designed to reveal heaven and to conceal heaven, to give us an experience of heaven meeting earth. God is both transcendent and imminent all at the same time. He is uncontainable and infinite, yet was contained within the womb of a virgin. The elaborate and solemn liturgical services of the Eastern Catholic Churches provide for the worshiper a sublime experience of what keeps us all sane, mysticism. To find out more about the Eastern Lung of the Church, go to easternchristianmedia.com. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loy. And again, I say to those of you on the Julian or so-called Old Calendar, both Orthodox and Eastern Catholic, Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. For those of us who are on the Gregorian calendar, but especially if you're in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, I say to you, Christ is ascended. And you respond, in glory. Speaking of also a little bit more good news, as I mentioned earlier, we keep in prayer the two Orthodox bishops that were abducted recently in Syria. We keep them in our prayer, and we pray for the repose of the departed soul of the priest who was the driver who was killed. But on another area, another level of good news, I just want to say hello to and congratulations to those wonderful people from Our Lady of Lebanon Maronite Parish in Lombard, Illinois, which is one of my neighbors here at our Light of the East studio nearby. And to Father Charles Kachan, who we had on our program a few weeks ago, I did attend their fundraising event for their eparchy. And it was a very positive, positive experience, a very uplifting experience, very inspiring experience, a lot of great people. I was treated wonderfully in that typical, famous Middle Eastern hospitality. Well, they can really, really be hospitable, those people. Very, very gracious Francis Cardinal George of the Archdiocese of Chicago was one of the guest speakers there, and he gave a very interesting talk. He gave us literally a minute-by-minute, it was very detailed, fascinating, minute-by-minute insight, kind of almost like we were there, you felt like you were there, of the conclave, of that whole process and what actually goes on during that conclave. One of the things he said, too, which was interesting, was that this particular conclave, when it concluded and there was a new pope elected, Unlike in previous years, this pope was announced, the new pope was announced during the evening, actually during nighttime. So when the pope came out under the balcony and the cardinals were there behind him, 
they looked out and they couldn't see anything because everything was dark. You know, the lights were on the Pope, not on the people. But what the Carter remarked about, he said, in fact, his words were that as he looked out there in Piazza San Pietro, you know, St. Peter's Square, he said it looked almost like a twinkling jewelry box because nowadays, interesting about technology, nowadays all those people, hundreds of thousands, standing there waiting for the announcement, nowadays they all had phones. And so all these phones and cameras started going off and there was this incredible array of different kinds of lights. They're twinkling, blue lights and red lights and white lights and yellow lights. And the Cardinal George said that this was really quite impressive to him. Just that alone was very impressive to look out there almost as if this jewelry box of, of humanity was proclaiming their acceptance and appreciation of the new Pope. So very, very interesting insights given by Francis Connor George of the Archdiocese of Chicago at this benefit dinner for the eparchy of Our Lady of Lebanon, which is the eparchy that is centered in St. Louis for the Maronite Church. They have a second eparchy, which is in Brooklyn, New York. So many times whenever I explain to people, especially our Latinite brethren, how large my own eparchy is, 12 states, like I'm centered in Chicago, but my bishop is in Cleveland. And sometimes people wonder, what are you doing out here if your eparchy is in Cleveland? Technically Parma, which is a suburb of Cleveland. I explain to them, well, our eparchy covers 12 states. They think that's really amazing, really huge. And I said, well, that's nothing. There are some Eastern churches where most United States, or all United States, in fact, is their only eparchy, or only two eparchies. And that's true for the Maronites. So they have an eparchy centered in St. Louis and an eparchy centered in Brooklyn, New York. And so Bishop Shaheen was there from the eparchy of St. Louis, the Maronite eparchy, and he gave some very kind words, too, to this celebration. So once again, our salute and our best wishes and prayers to our leader living on Maronite Parish in Lombard, but also especially to their eparchy. And again, thanks to Father Charles Kachan for treating us so well here at Lay of the East and also for me personally. Again, we are here on the Feast of the Fathers of the First Ecumenical Council. Now, this council is very significant. All the councils are. And as I mentioned earlier, when we talk about these councils, we talk about and pray about them in such a way as to enter into their reality in a timeless way. In other words, they're happening now. We're leaving them now, which means that they're very, very relevant. Now, this particular council is extremely relevant, extremely important, because it had to do with combating a heresy that became very widespread in the fourth century, happened about 320 AD, and it was perpetrated, as usual, not by a layperson. So all you laity out there listening can pat yourselves on the back. Never was a layperson ever the author of a heresy in the church, at least nothing that caught on. It was always a cleric who should know better, and it was a priest named Arius, and he was teaching that the God that we believe in could not be three distinct equal persons, but God the Father was in a sense superior, and that Jesus Christ was not really divine. He was just a great prophet, a great person, great prophet, but not divine, not part of the Trinity. Of course, that was a great heresy and something that might sound familiar to today. Actually, that's the kind of perspective that Islam comes from, as well as other teachings that are not the Catholic Orthodox teachings about the God that we believe in, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is extremely significant because if you believe in a God who is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three distinct persons, yet one God, and that that second person of Trinity, equal to the Father and the Holy Spirit, entered into our reality, you know, condescended, became his own creation while still remaining the creature. If you believe that, then you can believe in and imagine and relate to 
a God who can be that intimate, that close to us, that loving, that approachable, that forgiving, that compassionate, in fact, incomprehensibly compassionate and approachable, while still being the awesome God. See, once again, it's that both-and spirituality that especially is expressed in Eastern spirituality, that this God can be God. He lost nothing from his, his being as God, his transcendence, his holiness, his otherness. At the same time, while retaining all of that, he became one of us in every way except our sin. And why? So that he could, as we celebrate during the Feast of the Ascension then, see how it all ties together, so that he could then bring our nature back to its original glory and in fact beyond. That's the really neat thing about the incarnation. God took us beyond the original glory he intended for us because he himself took on our nature and elevated it and enthroned it on the very throne of God. Now, that makes all the difference in the world when it comes to the whole whole subject of human relationships, of love, of intimacy. How much more difficult is it to hate ourselves or to hate someone else, to hurt someone else, to debase ourselves? If we truly believe that God did incarnate himself in our very nature, in our very body, that has tremendous implications for who we are as human beings. And that's why this feast of the ascension and the right belief about the incarnation is so essential. Without that correct belief, this is why the councils came together, why they're celebrating the church to this day and they draw us into their reality to this day. They are so essential because it makes all the difference in the world how you see everything, how you see a relationship with God, how we can relate to this God. God is not just a great distant lawgiver in the, in the sky you know, who judges harshly and takes vengeance. That's not the God that we believe in. That's a very incomplete concept. God revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a union and communion of persons. And from that image, we get our own image and likeness, our own concept of the human person. We are communal beings meant for love, just as God is, because we're made in that image and likeness. And we are made for intimacy with God. And yes, eventually with one another, with his whole creation. And how do we get that? We get that by the fact that God truly became human while not taking away one bit of his being divine. You see, the answer is always living in the both and, not the either or. And that's difficult. This is why these heresies popped up. In fact, all the heresies throughout the history of the church, which most of them happened in the East, these heresies all had to do with people trying to accept, articulate, understand, live, this idea of who God really is, who Jesus Christ is. How can God be God and human fully all at the same time? Our minds tend to think in either or categories. And so this is what spawned many of the heresies of the centuries, which in a sense get recycled today. You know, when you do not acknowledge God in the proper way, we come to a church not dressed right. We take church casually, the Eucharist. We don't go to church, in fact. We don't have any use for church, or we think that we can live without it. These are just some of the many ways in which we 
recycle a heresy like the Arian heresy. Because if we truly knew and believed who God is and how he became one of us yet remain God, you could not take that casually. You can't. This is why entering into these mysteries, into these events of history in a timeless way is essential and relevant to us today. It means everything how we see God and how we see the human person in light of God. And that is part of our mission here on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois 60491. That's Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road spelled W-I-L-L dash C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the light of the east, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. (laughs) 